we're starting with Parshas in Parshas Bo. Um, quite a few things over here, but I'm going to start off with the Mesha Chachma that I, I don't usually say things like this, but I might as well, because I want to start off on a Go to Paro, because I harden his heart and also the heart of his servants, so that I should play, so that I may place my signs within him. So the Mesha Chachma says an unbelievable word. He says, a person can be recognized as being, as being a great person in two different ways, two very, very different ways. Two different ways are, number one, a guy is so smart, he's so unbelievable, and he has such great mitos, so, so smart and such great mitos, that uh, everybody looks at him and they see, like, oh, what a great guy. Or, they recognize him through the fact that he does crazy miracles, crazy things, and strange pu'ulas, like people start hearing about certain things that he did, they start hearing about it, and that makes him godly, makes him into something a little bit more than a man. And they say, well, that guy's not human, he's absolutely not human. It's so the first way, when a guy is so smart and great and with great mitos and everything like that, who notices him first? The Chacham. I would say his mother. His mother probably, but his mother notices everybody. Mother you know? always thinks that he's Mother's always going to be the first. No, so uh, normally it's recognized not by the people. I mean, the people won't see such a thing because they don't recognize because it's not flashy to be a great person. But if you have good mitos, that means you're an honor. It means you're humble. Nobody's going to notice that. So the public won't necessarily see it first. It's the Chachamim that are going to see it first. The Chacham, the people of the time who are going to see it. And they, in turn, publicize him to other people. And other people will find out only because all the Chachamim consider him a great guy. But the other way around, the people are going to recognize him first. Everybody's going to hear about how great of a guy this is. They'll start hearing all these crazy things that he's done. And then they're going to start telling lies. They're going to start adding on. They're going to be like, oh man, you've got to hear this Baal Shem Tov story. You know, like they go on to like one story after the other where the public starts going crazy and starts telling over things that, you know, that never even really happened, convincing others to start thinking, hey, maybe this is a great guy. Maybe this is a really good guy. That's a major difference. Now, what he's getting at with this is a simple, simple helix that, uh, think about it, with good old JC, we're not going to call him by his full name, but uh, good old JC, Mohammed, stuff like that. Thank you, I appreciate that. Just in case nobody knew. Oh. Yeah. But either way, we got JC or Mohammed or something like Juan that. Carlos. So, uh, I'm sorry? Never mind. Yeah, Juan, Juan Carlos. That would be the other person, the other JC. But either way, but uh, as we all know that these guys were well known, not from the Chachamim. The Chachamim didn't accept them in the first place. It was because the multitudes of people started listening to what they had to say and realized, like, oh, these guys are saying this. Oh, let's follow them. They heard about these great things that these people did, these crazy miracles and these crazy things that these people did, and they took it even further, and they said, oh, so let's do something with that, and they started to go around and, you know, made up more and more stories, and they said one story after the other until everybody found out about these crazy things that these people are doing, these crazy, unbelievable things where people were doing. On the other hand, you think about a person like Roshon Mozaman Orbach. Roshon Mozaman Orbach was famous that at his funeral, he had 300,000 people at his funeral, people were going crazy. Who is this guy? Like, the papers wanted to write it down, and they had absolutely, you were there? So they, people wrote it down, and they said, like, who is this guy? Nobody had any clue who the guy was. Huh? Shock. Because that was that was even crazier because on a Friday I didn't even hear about it until Friday afternoon. Three p.m. Everyone in the neighborhood, even if they're in their houses. But either way, but by Rishlomozam Norbach, nobody had any clue this person was. They heard Rishlomozam Norbach died. They all said like, "Where is this guy?" Because he was only well known by the Chachamim. Only the Chachamim were able to tell his his tzitkus over to the to other people. I once heard from a guy, a really good guy, but a good friend of mine. He said to me like, "I don't even know." Who the Gedolim are nowadays? I don't even know who the Gedolim are. That's a good thing. <laughs> that means that they're not known for the crazy things that they've done. They're not publicized by everyone, and they're not put in the paper. They're the guys who are sitting in the background.
around who are just like Rabbi Yitzchak Zilberman. You don't hear about him because he's Rabbi El Yashiv's son-in-law, but eventually you will. When he has to take the spotlight, he will take the spotlight. You only heard of Rav Chaim Kanievsky about 10, 15 years ago, 20 years ago. You didn't hear about him before that. Rav was the same way. In the Saipur. Rav Shach was somewhat the same way, but Rav Shach was still a Rosh Yeshiva. You know, the people that are not necessarily Rosh Yeshivas that are a little bit no- well-known, but not so well-known. What were you going to say? It's very interesting. The Rav Eliezer Waldenberg was Niftar recently. Right, the and author of the Tzitzeliezer. Like every, everyone knows who Tzitzeliezer is, but no one knows it was Rav People Eliezer never knew that the Tzitzeliezer was still alive. <laughs> they heard, like, the author of the Tzitzeliezer died, and they're just like, I thought he was dead, like, 70 years ago. <laughs> Nobody had any clue that he had just passed away, that he was that old, that he was still living in Yerushalayim. Something like that. Like, the Chacham will know. They'll publicize it to other people. The second one is just the exact opposite. Moshe was known as Nishalokin. All the people called him an Ishalokim, a man of godliness. Because all the Nisim and the Nifalos that he did. Because he came around and he turned his staff into a snake and he showed the leprosy and did all that. He killed somebody with the name of Hashem. Did all these crazy things. Nobody knew the actual person of Moshe Benu. And that's why in the beginning, when the magicians went ahead and they saw these miracles that Moshe Benu was doing, the first thing they did was what? Tried to copy him. I said, well, we can do the exact same thing. You think you're such a great guy, Moshe Benu? Well, we can do it. You're just a greater magician than us because your snake is able to our snakes, or your staff is able to eat our snakes. And so too, you're able to make blood that lasts, while our blood can't last as long. You're a magician, Moshe Rabbeinu, you're just a little bit better than us. Even by Kedem, they tried to do, they just realized, okay, you just must be a tremendous magician. But that was only in the beginning. And that's why in the beginning of the Parsha, they say over here, the first thing it says is, Vayomru Avde Paroi Love, the Avadim Aparo said to him, How long will this guy over here be a Mokesh? They don't even call him by a person's name. They just say, Zeh, that guy over there, the Ishalo Kim that everybody calls the godly man. They don't treat him with true respect. They just say, like, how long is this guy going to be around? He's not even human. He's not even a human being. Everybody calls him the godly person. He's just a guy that everybody talks about. But then, they started to see his anivos only at the very, very end. Toward the very, very end, they started realizing who he was in a Parakid of Pasuk Gimel. Parakid of Pasuk Gimel, the Pasuk says, Gamma Ish Moshe, specifically the man, Moshe Rabbeinu. They started seeing him as a person. Started realizing how big of an unav he really was saying that everything was from God that everything was straight from God in the land of Mitzrayim where the of de paro in the eyes of the avadim of paro and then afterward in the eyes of the people because only the avde paro saw him as such a great person and realized how great of a person he was and then afterward they told it over to the people but the first people that saw were the avde paro that's the best way of being a leader for people to see at first the big people to realize and then afterward for the hamonam to follow around Afterward. He, he did crazy things. He wasn't really connected to them. Exactly. Exactly. He didn't connect himself with them. People didn't know him as that. I mean, it's a crazy. It's it's, it's a crazy way of looking at things. But that was Shopsite's view's problem. The public accepted him before the Chachamim did. It was a problem somewhat with Ben Kachva Bar Kachva. Bar Kachva was accepted by Rabbi Akiva, but the other Chachamim never accepted him until the Hamonam accepted him. And then they started leaning toward thinking maybe Ben Bar Kachva is the real person. The way it's got to be, the way Mashiach is supposed to be, is for the Chachamim to realize who he is, for them to consider the guy a great person and then afterward for the people to realize oh this guy can do tremendous things that's the difference between them now <coughs> I've had this problem for quite a while I hardened his heart so everybody knows I don't go so much into 
closer. This is not like going to be a Muslim vote or anything, but I know, I know, you can leave. But uh, what does this really mean? Number one, what does it mean to harden somebody's heart? That's number one. Number two, why is it Paro's fault if Hashem made him do it? Why is Paro being blamed if Hashem really made him do it? So what's the point in hardening his heart? That's really what we're asking over here. So Rabban says two answers. So we're going to connect the second answer with the real answer. The Rabban says his two answers are like this. Number one, he's Chayiv and Shemayim to be punished for everything he had done up until now. He had gone over the... Everybody knows they were supposed to be above him. We know they were supposed to be slaves. But he went above and beyond the regular punishment that they should have gotten. He gave them an extra punishment. And because of that extra punishment, so therefore HaKadosh Baruch Hu had to punish him and had to give him crazy things in Shemayim. Even, even if they had to be slaves... Shleach still is high. That's a machlokas Rambam and Ravid actually. So even according to the Ravid that says that you're getting punished for above and beyond the measure of punishment, she write the Ramban really goes with that. But even according to that idea, still it doesn't make a difference. He still went beyond. And no matter how you look at it, whether it's for the actual you enslaved them or for the extra measures that you added on, he's got to be punished. So Akash Baruch was Monea from him. He refrained. He refused to let him have Darkei Chuva so that he'd be able to to be able to go through, you know, to be able to get all these punishments. What about the first five? He didn't harden his heart until the last five. What about the first five? So Chazal say, says the Ramban, he had Rachman. And if Paro would have decided within the first five, that's it, I'm sending out the Jews, then the Kaddish Baruch would have said to him, okay, fine, forget about the punishments that you're supposed to get. Somehow I'll give you the kapara in some other way. You did shuva, whatever it is, and I'll let you have it. But by the last five, it was too late. It was already too late. You started going so far, now I've got to give you the rest of this. I've got to give you the whole shuva. There's no way to stop from here on in. The other way of looking at it is that, why is he giving up after the first five? Why is he giving up after them? He already had five crazy makas. By this time, he's like freaked out. And he's like, forget it, I can't deal with it anymore. But is he doing tshuva? No. Kishbaku wants him to realize that there is a God in the world. If Paro would have stopped right then, after number six, and would have said, all right, forget it, I'm done. You know, forget it, I'm done. So what would HaKadosh Baruch Hu have said? HaKadosh Baruch Hu would have said, okay, Paro's going to, for the next couple days, he'll feel bad about it, but all of a sudden he's going to go back to his old ways, and he's going to be just the same jerk that he was beforehand. So he decided to give him all ten makos, plus Kriya's Yamsub at the very end. So at the end, what happened to Paro? The realization of who God, who God was. He had to go do with this whole plan. There was no choice. So he had to give him this Achbaraz Libo. Now, Machlokas. Machlokas, he was there or not. But the Sforno says an unbelievable addition to this whole thing. <coughs> he had to learn a lesson. And this is like the additional thing. He had to learn a massive lesson over here. Otherwise, he would have thought that it's just the Avodah Zara that's doing it. And if he would have thought that, that would have ruined him. That's not Shuva. That's not anything whatsoever. And that's the Pshat behind. I had to harden his heart so that I put my Osios within him. So that he gets killed. Because he needs these Osios. And if he doesn't get that, bad things are going to happen. But it goes a little bit further than that. Um, we spoke about this before. There's a Gemara with Elisha ben Avuya who ended up becoming Acher. So Elisha ben Avuya is one of the strangest characters in the world. We know there were four people that went up to parties. They went up to Pshat Remez Jorsod, got to this level of learning that's beyond anybody else. They were able to go straight up to Shemayim without their bodies. So was, the four people were Rebbe Akiva, Ben Azai ben Zoma, and Rebbe ben Avuya who's known as Acher. So Ben Azai died, Ben Zoma went crazy, Rebbe Akiva went up there and didn't look any further, and he remained sane, he remained perfectly fine. Elisha ben Avuya went up there and became a kofer. He went up there and became a kofer. He went to the edge of knowledge of the farthest that you can get in Torah learning and he became a kofer. He came down and he started doing things on Shabbos and he started being with Zonas and everybody called him Acher. It's another person. He became another person. That was Elisha ben Avuya. He became an evil, absolutely evil person. What is the shot? Kaddish Baruch called down from Shemayim and said, 
Shuvu Banim Shovavim, anybody can do Shuva, Chutz, Meacher, except for Acher. So really, yes, if he doesn't have a chance to do Shuva, then what's the problem? He can do whatever he wants. He's not going to do Shuva anyway. He never has a chance to do Shuva. What does that mean? You can't do Shuva. Kaddish Baruch Hu refrained somebody from doing Shuva. How is that possible that a Kaddish Baruch Hu didn't let him do Shuva? The idea is supposed to be something very simple. Why did that happen to him? Why didn't the Torah protect him? We know the Torah normally protects a person. How come the Torah didn't protect the Lishim Nebuya? Anybody know the Gemara? Doing it all for the honor. That's one answer, but that's only mentioned by the Marasha. What's mentioned in the Gemara? In, straight out in the Gemara. What was he doing that stopped him? Two things. Two things. Number one, whenever he learned, he had the Sifrei Midim in his lap. He had the philosoph- philosophical Sfarim in his lap. He put it like one of those comic books within the Sefer, you know what I'm saying? Like, he would open up the Sefer and like on the outside he'd be learning Chomesh. On the inside he's like, oh, Superman! It would be something like that where he'd be able to see everything on the inside. That was number one. The second thing is that he used to listen to, he used to sing when he was learning. He would sing Greek songs. He would sing Greek songs. So those two things did not allow his Torah to protect him. So they all ask, everybody asks, what do you mean? If I read Sports Illustrated and if I listen to the radio once in a while, all of a sudden I'm not going to be protected by the Torah, I'm not going to be protected. So they say, yeah, it was Alicia Mavuya on his level was not going to be protected because he was a person who shouldn't have gone that far. He shouldn't have gone that far. What? Definitely. They stick with you for a very long time. For sure. And Sports Illustrated doesn't? <laughs> I can tell you like Rick Riley articles from like five years ago. You know? Like I can tell you different things that everybody says from five years I can tell you the, the whole thing that they had on what's his name? Like the, the Jewish guy. Who's that Jewish guy? The guy from TA. Obviously it doesn't stick with you for so long. But Tamir Goodman. See it does stick with you for a long time. I can tell you like the things about Tamir Goodman and all that stuff. Like why in the world that's such a big problem? So we spoke about this before and I even said this at a Chef of Ruffles not too long ago. Decisions that a person makes makes him into the person that he is today. In other words, nobody here, I hope that nobody here has a problem with turning off a light on Shabbos. You don't walk by a light on Shabbos and say, should I turn this off or on? I'll leave it on. I'll leave it on. Nobody walks by a light switch and says that. If you do, there's something to work on. But that's one thing that you got to really work on. But nobody does that. So too in the morning. When you wake up in the morning, you don't wake up and say to yourself, should I put on tefillin or should I not put on tefillin? It's like an automatic that you put on tefillin. That's changing your Bechira in a good way. That means that there comes a point you can improve yourself to the point where certain questions are no longer questions for you. I would never do that. I would never ever do that. I would never ever come close to murdering a person. Why? Because I built myself up to the point where murdering a person I know is absolutely terrible and I wouldn't even come to do it even if somebody put a knife in my hand I still wouldn't be able to stab a person unless I really hated them but that's a different story. There's no way that I would be able to do it. And aside from that I wouldn't be able to turn off the light on Shabbos. I wouldn't be able to not wear tefillin one day. The guilt inside me would destroy me. I would never be able to do it. So that's a major, major difference. What that means is, is that I built myself to a level where I'm beyond that Bechira. Do I still get a mitzvah for walking by a light switch and not turning it off? Yeah. No. No? You don't get a mitzvah every time you walk by. What it means is, you're on a new level with this, with this is what Rav this is mentioned in the Mechtam but what he means is like this. You're on a brand new level. On this level, that's not a mitzvah. You're just on a higher level now. It's called the Kudas of Bechira. The Kudas of Good. Do you remember that from from Rebessel? I remember from Revolvi. Revolvi mentions all of that. But you bring yourself up to a level where it's too late already. You can't bring... Just walking by a light switch is not a mystery every time I walk by. No, it's not that it's not fair. It's a higher level, which means I'm no longer on that level where walking by a light switch is already Bechira. That's a very low level. It's an automatic you bring yourself up. Rebessel says that you get the rewards for having made 
it's a, it's a reward. It's not, yes, it's not a mitzvah. Yeah. It's a reward that brings you automatically up. But it's not a mitzvah every time I walk by. It's an automatic, I'm beyond that level, and therefore I'm higher than what that is. There's another way of going yeah, down. you get a, a, a lesser reward for putting on film then? No. No, it's the same type of reward. However, going without the and so too going without tefillin will be an even bigger punishment. But it depends on what level you are. Either way, Shabbos. This is how it goes by Shabbos, and that's how it goes by Shabbos. I'm sorry. There's another way of bringing yourself down. Will you bring yourself down a level to where these things are? Certain things are just ingrained inside you. For example, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but smoking. Smoking is a perfect example of an addiction in which you'll keep bringing yourself down. You'll keep bringing yourself further and further down, where you'll keep wanting to smoke even though you don't even want to you'll have that urge that'll make you smoke it'll make you want to smoke what? why don't you mean it in a bad way? well it depends on how bad because if you already started there's no need to actually stop but whatever it is regardless I I, I don't mean it in like you're not sinning there's no like actual sin it's no isser there's no isser all the way way they say there's no isser in in smoking it's just that to start smoking is an isser but to already be smoking and to continue smoking that usser just definitely not preferred. And there definitely is a Pikuach Nefesh involved, but it's not, it's not out there. But wait, that's totally off subject. <laughs> Regardless, Acher brought himself to a level well, Acher brought himself to a level where it would be impossible for him to start doing better. Brought himself to a level where keeping Shabbos was so impossible for him, it would be like us trying to reach for the moon. It'd be impossible. He wouldn't be able to do it. Paro also, he was so not into believing that there was a God, he brought himself to a level where he was so far off from believing in God, even if he was totally convinced he wouldn't be able to see him. He wouldn't be able to do it. Was his Bechira taken away? No, his Bechira was right there. But he was on such a low level, it was as if he had no Bechira. As if he had no Bechira. So for all intents and purposes, Acher cannot do Tshuva. Paro had a hardened heart. There's no way for them to turn around from that issue that's sitting there and making them decide to not believe that there's a real God. That's what happened to them. So that's a very big difference. So what does it mean by Yechbaditi is Libo? I hardened his heart? It means he brought himself to a level where I automatically have to harden his heart. Well, it's not even a choice anymore. He's on such a low level that the only way for it to be brought back is to give him all these makos, to mess him over royally till he comes to see that there must be me, where he sees me at the Yamsuf, and that's the only time you'll be able to see that there is really a God. There was no way he was going to get enough to get all the way back. Exactly. His life. There's no way. He could have, in theory, in theory he could have, but he won't. He could have started to get himself up, but he wouldn't have made it all the way exactly. up there wasn't enough time And that's the point. That's what it means by he won't. What were you about to say? Not if they're your slaves. Not if they're your slaves. See, that's the hard part. That Paro did have. He definitely. It wasn't totally stopped. It's just that certain people had stopped working but he always thought they'd be able to get it back I want, you to, I want you to think if you were the king if you all of a sudden, let's just say like this I mean th- we have something similar with LA with all the, the Hispanics that decided to go on strike and all that let's say that somebody came along and said alright we're getting rid of every single illegal immigrant how devastating do you think that'll be to the economy it'll be extremely devastating to the economy that's what Paro was thinking with the Mitzrayim he's thinking to himself if I let the Jews go and they all go out there I realize 
are doing these crazy things. But I think, and he did think this way, that their God is eventually going to give it up. That there's no way that there's a real God here, that there's magic going on, or there's something going on, but eventually it's going to stop. Am I willing to devastate my entire economy and ruin the livelihood of all the Egyptians just because of a little pain? That's what he's saying. We'll do it for the country, but eventually something's going to have to give. I'm not giving. I'm not going to give. That's what it really is. It's a hard way of looking at that. I'm sure there are others that look at it a different way. Just within this forno, that's what he's trying to say. That's what he's trying to do. Yeah, hold on. You had a question before? Why, why did Hashem continue to go through all these plagues and stuff? Why didn't he just say, enough, enough is enough, Paro, I'm going to kill you and have Moshe kill There's him. no point to the killing. He wants him to recognize God. You have to bring him to the point where he recognized God. But if he's hardening his heart, I think he's beyond that point. No, no, that's part of the point. Part of the point is, it's so hard to get to him, but he has to do all these things in order to get around the hardening of the heart. It's not a point of I am hardening his heart. It's that he brought himself to the point where I am automatically hardening his heart. That's the idea. But I thought the whole idea was to get the Jews out of Egypt, not to make Paro understand. Both. There's two aspects to what Kaddish Baruch is. The Rachamim and the Din side. There's two sides that he's trying to do. Yeah. Then you could the say understand. just ten. Like, I mean, we're talking these, about Paro here. I mean, these ten he were the ultimate things. These ten were the ultimate things that all of them added all together was going to be something that was going to convince Paro to the point of Makas Bukhara. And to end off with Kriyas Yamsuf. End off with Kriyas Yamsuf. There's a lot to that. I can't tell you why it would be that way. But he himself, I mean, that's why Kudosh Baruch decided this. Oh, yeah, I know. Yeah. It's got to be that way. Right. It's got to be there's something beyond everything here. All right. Adamarishon gave names to all the animals. We all know that. Everybody knows he gave names to all the animals. Now I'm going to go, I'm going to take you guys a little bit further than what we normally say. I'm just going to, I'm going to tell you the board. Everybody asks the same question. They say, where's Arba? Where, where they, where does Moshe Rabbeinu get told about Arba? And every mock up until now, Kirsch Buckle says to Moshe, I'm going to bring down. Go tell Paro there's going to be down. So Paro, he goes to Paro and he tells him there's going to be down, there's down. Go tell Paro, I'm going to give Savardea. And he goes and he brings Savardea. Kenan says to Moshe, Moshe, I'm bringing Kenan. Go ahead and throw whatever. Aaron throws something on the hit your stick on the ground. He kept warning him, there's going to be down, there's going to be Tzvardea, there's going to be Kenan. Not Moshe to, to Paro necessarily, but Hakadosh Baruch will always tell Moshe what the Maka was beforehand. What about Arba? He never tells Moshe Rabbeinu what to do. And yet, Ar- somehow, he knew that Arba was going to come about. So how does that work? How did he know that Arba was coming about? So look at the beginning of the Pasuk. Bo El Paro. So Nutute Shimshon says an awesome turret. He says, put Bo, Bez Aleph, into Paro. Now, we know that there are certain letters that are interchangeable. Part of those letters are Achaya, Aleph, Ches, He, and Ayin. And boom, Bez, Vav, Mem, and Pe. Those letters are interchangeable with one another. There's also Gichak, Daltanat, and Zashas Rats. Either way, those are the letters that are interchangeable with one another. Achayam, boom. Take the Aleph, switch it with the Ayin. Take the Bez, switch it with the, uh, with the Pe. And now do Bez and Aleph, put it into Paro. You come out with, take out the Pe and the Ayin of Paro. You come out with Arbe. You come out with Arbe. Take the Aleph and the Bez, put it into Paro, and you come out with Arbe. He says, Look at that word. It's Shtei Ososai. So that my two letters, Ela Bekirbo, should be put within Paro. Should be put inside Paro's body. So that instead of being Paro, it ends up being Arba. But it ends up being Arba. Now, the crazy part, that's just stuff. That's just the 
What the heck does that mean? Why in the world did he take base and owls and put it into paro? And how did Moshe Rabbeinu realize that that's what he's referring to? What's going on here and how does that work? So, we know that other Rishon gave names to every single animal. He gave names to every single animal. That means that names all stand for certain things that you need to know about the person. Meaning, your maimahus is tzvi. Whatever tzvi means, whatever tzvi does, that is what I'm all about. My purpose in life and everything I stand for in life is based on tzvi. It'll go by every single person. Your name will stand for what you have. Listen to this. Paro is a gematria of 355, which happens to be the exact same gematria as Shana. Shana. Why Shana? Because the whole point of Paro's existence was to have a Shana of punishments. A one year full of punishments. That one year of Poranius, where he had one after the other, 355, 355, which is Shana. I know it's really 365. But it's a Shana full of punishments the whole year through in order to see that God is out there in the world and to prove to the rest of the world that there is a God. So that's why he had 355. That's why he's called Paro. Moshe thought that after the first seven Makos, and that's why Ba'ira, the first seven Makos are separated from the last three, he figured after Barad, which was such a crazy Maka, where Akash Baruch said, Inini kol I sent all my plagues against him, he figured, for sure everybody's convinced. There's no way Paro's going to tell me no. There's no way he's going to be able to tell me no. He figured that was it. They're going to send me out immediately. So what they did is like this. Hashem told him, no, Bo goes into Paro, add on Bez and Aleph, which is three, into Paro, 355. 355 plus three is 358. 358 is the Gematria of Nachash. That really Paro is a Nachash. He's a trickster. He may seem like he's going to let you go, but he's not going to really let you go. The full shot is like this. Until now, every Maka had left something over. Dom, was there water left over? Was there water they could drink? Yeah. Was there water they could drink? They could. They had to buy it. They had to find it in Metal Kalim, but there was water. Svardea. Was everybody? Was anybody killed? No, there were alligators and crocodiles eating off their legs, but something was left over. Kenan, people left over. Aruv, people were left over. Dever, the animals were left over. There were animals that didn't die. Shechin, by, by, by all the Shechin, people didn't die. Barod, still animals didn't die. There were still animals left over. There were still people left over. By Arbe, this was finally going to be a Maka in which nothing was left. No food was left throughout all of Mitzrayim. Every single bit of food, whether it be grass, wheat, barley, kernels, anything, was all going to be gone. Everything was going to be gone. This is the first Maka that is absolute destruction over anything else. Each Maka up until now had Rachamim. And what? For what the Jews had, but that's the same with... No, 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 no. Nothing to do with... Yeah, with pa, within Paro. Each Maka left over something, left over something, in which Paro had something at the end of it. Arba, he was left with absolute... Absolutely nothing. He was left with absolutely no food whatsoever. Where did they get that Rachamim from? Why did Paro, why was Paro Zohar to that within the first seven Makos that it didn't destroy everything? Yaakov Yenu gave it to him. How did Yaakov Yenu give it to him? What happened when Yaakov and Paro met? What did Yaakov do? Gave him a bracha. Gave him a bracha. And the bracha was that whenever Paro walked to the Nile River, the Nile River would climb up to go greet him. The Nile River came up to his feet. That led Paro to believe that he was a god. That's why he would always go out to the river in the morning. And everybody would walk would see the river go up to his feet and thus he was able to go to the bathroom in it because he was in the water up to his waist. He'd be able to go to the bathroom. Nobody would be able to tell. He's able to go to the bathroom every single time and shower, you know, like sing whatever it is. And he'd be able to sit there and everybody would say, oh, Paro is a god. Why? Because the bracha of Yaakov. Yaakov we know is the meter of Rachel, of mercy. As opposed to who? Avram is chased and Yitzchak is din. So Yitzchak is meter of din. Yaakov is Rachel. Yaakov lost a 
crazy amount from his meeting with Paro. What did he lose? What did Yaakov lose from that meeting with Paro? Not only 10. 33 years of his life he lost because of that. Instead of being 180, he ended up living only to 147. He lost 147 years of his life because of this meeting. He gave Rachamim over to Paro. But he did give this Rachamim over to Paro. Now listen to what happened over here. Yaakov. Yaakov's bracha is over by the time of Arba. How did Moshe Rabbeinu know that? Because Bo went into Paro. Think about what happened over here. Paro is 355. Subtract Yaakov's Rachamim, which is 147 years of his life. Subtract 147 from 355. What do you come out with? Hard, right? 208. 208 altogether. 208 is the gematria of? Good. <laughs> Yitzchak. Yitzchak. Yitzchak is known as Midas Midas Adin. Yitzchak is Midas Adin. Thus, 355. Paro, minus the Rachamim that Yaakov Avinu gave him, is Midas Adin, which is Yitzchak Avinu. Midas Adin is absolute retribution of punishment and is absolute destruction. Absolute destruction. So at this point, Paro knew, and Moshe Rabbeinu himself knew, since Yaakov is going off, Boel Paro, take the base in the Aleph and put it into Paro. You can make it into Arbe. Arbe is also the Gematria of 208. That 208, the Arbe is going to be here. It's going to be absolute destruction. It's the Gematria of Yitzchak. It's Midas Adin. Paro has lost the Rachamim. There's going to be no food left in Mitzrayim because what was the bracha that Yaakov gave him? Yaakov gave him the bracha of the Nile overflowing. The Nile overflowing stopped what? Stopped the famine. And when the famine stops, that means there's going to be food. At this point, the Rachamim stopped. The food is over. There's no more food. And it became pure Midas Adin. And what happened all over again? The rub started all over again. The hunger started all over again and started once again from the beginning and everything was bad. That's the idea behind that. Com- complicated, but that's how it goes. The, the water still came. No. At this point on, no. Absolutely not. In, ca- in fact, not only did the water not greet him, the water came to destroy him. The water came to destroy him. That's the end. Kriya That was the point. Where did the Egyptians get their food from after that? Nothing. They had to steal, they had to kill some of their animals, they had to do whatever they could. Buy from the Jews, do whatever they could. But they had, according to the Ramban, it only was about two weeks. All right. I'm not going to go through Arba because they had two foot long teeth. They were huge. These locusts were absolutely massive. They, they they bit their faces and ate their insides. That's what that's what the Miyam always says about them. And the Moshe Zakeno also quotes it down. But Choshech, I think, is the coolest thing in the world. Choshech is by the power of the coolest. And Perak Yud Pazachavala. What is Choshech? Darkness. Darkness. Ooh. Oh, it's dark. Oh, better not turn on a light. That's scary. But what kind of darkness makes you freeze in place? And you know how, like, you always see when you're, you won't see it yet, but remember when you were in kindergarten and you came home, you had that sheet of paper that had, like, you drew in, like, the midstream in the middle of darkness, and you saw, like, the Jews looking through their drawers, and the Egyptians are in the craziest positions, like, like that. Because, like, right when darkness hit, they were in the midst of doing something, so they're all like that, and they're sitting there for, like, three days, you know? So that darkness, what is going on with it? What? Okay, so here we go. The Grah. The Grah says it was its own creation. Kosh created it specifically for right now. It was a darkness that is absolutely unnatural. Space is something unnatural. It's something that's black. It's like dark. 
darkness. It's like darkness, but there's nothing there. There's no air. There's absolutely nothing to it. Says the grow was its own Berea, just like space, and it was something in which they were not able to do anything from. The Miamluis argues, no, this darkness was Gehenna's darkness. This was hell. They brought out their darkness from hell all the way down because of the sins that they used to do in secret and brought it out for them where they were all sitting in this crazy stuff. They were sitting in the Gehenna's darkness. It's absolutely crazy. Now, in this Gehenna's darkness, says the Miamluis, there is no oxygen. There is no oxygen, which means they can't breathe. So you're constantly choking. However, a Kaddish Baruch Hu made a crazy miracle. They were able to live for six days without any oxygen, choking on their own spit, and still live for all six days until finally they got the air back. Now, do you know how annoying it is to start choking and not have any air? I mean, I personally, I don't know. But I'm assuming... What? Pretty annoying, right? It's like in the blackest space. But living there for six years with that pain of e- thinking each time that this is my last breath or this is my last moment in time. Each time was just like that, in which was a craziness to live that long. That sounds so brads on. Crazy pictures were thrown in front of them. So they would see like lions chasing after them. They saw like a guy wielding an, an axe right in front of them about to smash them. They were watching like horror movies. They saw Saw movies, Nightmare on Elm Street movies, Freddy, whatever they're called, all those, the, all those movies right there in front of them watching them happen, getting freaked out in the darkness, not being able to move whatsoever. That's what sounds over. And Yeshomrim, some say it was the Oregonus. It was the Oregonus. That it was the pure light that a Baruch Hu hid in the first days of creation, which is supposed to be a tremendous thing for Tzadikim. Thus the Jews were healed from it and great things happened to it. But the Rishayim, what happens to Rishayim? They all die or they get punishments from it. The Egyptians got punished from it. And the Jews that died, the four-fifths of the Jews that died, all died because the Oregonus wasn't good for them. The Oregonus came down. So it, was, it wasn't a darkness. It was a pure light in which they couldn't see. So for all intents and purposes, it was a darkness because they couldn't see anything. But it was a crazy, crazy light that went down in front of them. That's how the Eshomrim says in the Amalekites. And the final thing that we have over here, they say in the future it'll definitely be like this. In the future, when the Makos happen for us in the future, there's Tohu Vavohu. That's what you said before, Tavi. But obviously getting it from what I said earlier before. Tohu Vavohu, if you'll remember, is what the earth was before there was earth. Before there was anything. Absolute nothingness, null and void. There's no real word for it. That's what it was, and that's what the Egyptians were caught up in, and they couldn't do anything. Now, I will tell you the biggest pella that there could possibly be in the entire Chumash. How many people died of the Jews? Four fifths. Why did they have to die during Kosha? So no one would see them, and they'd be able to do what? They'd be able to bury them. How many Jews were there in Mitzrayim? Let's say 600,000 Jews. Now, we know that's only 20 to 60 and only the men, right? But let's say four fifths of those people died, which means how many people died? Four fifths of 600,000. Oh, left. 600,000 left. So four fifths of 600,000, which were the ones that died. 2.4 million. Right? And then you should add on a little bit with the woman and the children. You assume four fifths of everybody died. But let's just say 2.4 million. In three days, you're going to be able to bury 2.4 million people? 2.4 million people. You're going to be able to bury them? Everyone buries four people. It's quite doable. You're going to bury four people each? Who cares about that? Each guy's like, all right, you get him, 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 and him. you got to search from house to house looking for dead bodies. There probably were families that were wiped out. And that's not including the women and children. That's going without women and children. If you add in women and children, it's 3 million. 3 million, so it would be 15 million altogether. 12 million people died. 12 million people 
12 million people. What would it accomplish? Well, to bury them so the Egyptians didn't see them. There's four, there are four. Nobody's going to notice 12 million people. Are <laughs> it's based on a partial combination. It's still a magic. It's true. It's 100% true. Pharaoh would have thought they escaped. 100%. 100%. Yeah. True. But this is still seems to be a this seems to be a natural thing, a natural thing of burying the people, which is absolutely unnatural. Which four fifths people? No, it just seems. Wouldn't you think if I would have told you they buried before I asked this question? If they said they buried them, what do you think is a natural burial? <laughs> if you close yeah. your eyes and it's like four fifths of us left, you're not going to notice we're not here anymore. Oh, definitely. But the Jews lived outside of Egypt. You know, they lived in Goshen. So when they left, they didn't notice. When they saw them in Yamsu, they did notice. And that's why the Egyptians were able to have Azus to be able to chase them after because they saw that there's so many missing. Where is everyone? They had no clue where anybody was. That's already a good question. But they probably had to pass Goshen to get to where Kriya Samsuf was. So that might be that they would have seen it eventually. They would have seen it eventually. That already could be a good question. But the last thing is, the last thing is, is that uh, why not? Why wouldn't they leave? All the Egyptians are dark, are in darkness, and they can't move. So why didn't Bnei Israel leave right then? I realize that Akash Baruch told them not to. But why in the world wouldn't they do it? What? They didn't make anything. The point is supposed to be the Yonis of Nuzion Parz Bayechi says Yosef made them swear not to leave Mitzrayim until Paro commanded them to go. That was a shmua that was made from Yosef to the Jews. They were not allowed to leave until Paro said his say so. Over here, he wasn't able to say anything because he was set in darkness. So because of that, they weren't able to leave yet. Only when Paro told them you can go, and Moshe Rabbeinu got the permission from God, that was the first time we were able to go, but not until then. Now there's another thing. Then why did Ephraim break that? Ephraim was an interesting story. We won't get to that until Paro's Peshalach or it's Meram Isu and the Yonis Benuziel. Don't worry. Koshech was also not a simple vodka. You think it was just darkness, right? The Egyptians also got boils and lice in Koshech. And also by lice, they also had boils and they had the darkness. And also by when they had the lice, they had the bo- I'm sorry when they had boils they had lice and darkness how do I know that? unbelievable Tutu Shimshon over here he says you spell it all out Kinem is Chaf Nun Mem right? Chaf Nun Mem then afterward you have Shin Ches Nun which is Shin then afterward you have Choshef which is Ches Shin Chaf so you put it like that look what happens Kinem Kinem Choshef Choshef Shin Shin no matter how you look at it, they all connect with one another. Each one of them connect with one another. And the reason why is because all three Makos, according to the Mikubalim, all happened together. All three of them happened together. Three different times. There was one time where Kinem was the Iker and Shechin and Choshef was small. There was another time where Shechin was the Iker and then Kinem and Choshef was small. And there was another time where the Choshef was the Iker and the Kinem and the Shechin was small. But it all happened all together. It all happened all together. How did the Mitzrayim know? They knew from what was the Iker. What was the real thing that was going on? Is also supposed to be a big thing, but we won't get to that right now. There's a lot more words that are inside there. For, for internet's sake, you should you should verbally explain this. Ah, don't worry. Shut up for anybody on the internet. It's your fault. Anyway, Makas Bechoros. Makas Bechoros is also one of the best Makas. Everyone knows where Yudayan is in Bohem Simonim. It's a Chadash Biachav. And everybody always asks, why do you have to make it in Simonim? I can make Rosh Hashanah 
Shabbos also, there's no real reason why he has to mention all the Makos in Rashi Davis. And the reason why is because of the Makos. There is a massive Makos what Makos Bechoros was. What is Makos Bechoros? One opinion is that Damsar Yakinim Arov Dever, Shechim Barad Arbe Choshech Bechoros. Bechoros. But we know that Sach Adash Bechav, with the base. I'm sorry, I said that wrong. I said that wrong. I'm sorry. If it's Bechav, then it's Bechoros. But the way it's said right before in the Chachamim hold, down to the Akinamar of Dever Shechim Barad Arbe Choshech Makas Bechoros. Why is Maka not used by any of the other Makas? Why is it not Makas Dam, Makas Varia, Makas Kinam? They say it's Machuk, is what Makas Bechoros was. There is a Medrash that says on Shabbos Agadol, on the 10th of Tishrei, on the 10th of Tishrei, on the 10th of Nisan, so went ahead, they went ahead and they told over, they went over to, uh, they went over to Paro, and Moshe Rabbeinu went over to Paro and said, all the Bechoros are going to die. All the Bechoros heard, overheard that, and they ran to Paro and they said, all the Bechoros are going to die. We're all going to die. Let the Jews go. We don't want to die. None of us want to die. What did Paro say back to them? Take it like a man. You guys will be fine. Don't worry about it. Everything will be perfectly fine. Walk it off. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. <laughs> so now, the Bechoros got so PO'd, they went to their fathers and they asked their fathers, and their fathers said, listen, listen, the land of Mitzrayim needs you. You need to sacrifice for your people. You're not willing to sacrifice for your people? What's wrong with you guys? <coughs> so the Bechoros got so PO'd, they started a war. They fought against all their fathers and they killed 600,000 Egyptians. Killed 600,000 Egyptians until the Bechoros were knocked down in the very end. So Paro had not only the Bechoros dying, he had Makas Bechoros, the Maka given by the Bechoros over to the other Egyptians. So the first opinion is that there's Makas Bechoros. That was the real Maka. Rabbi Yehuda, you know, Subham Simonim, no, it's Tzach Adash Biachav. Days. That wasn't a Maka. That was not a Maka. The real Maka was the fact that the Bechoros died. The real Maka was the fact that the Bechoros died. That was the real Maka behind Makas Bechoros, and that's the shot behind that. Others say, the Moshe Zakana brings this down, that the Bechoros ran away. They ran away to the tents of Ham. And that's why Moshe Rabbein, that Kodesh Baruch said, I'm not only going to kill the Egyptian firstborns here, but the Egyptian firstborns wherever they go. Because they ran away and they ran somewhere else. Either way. Either way. Eretz. So, this is brought down. The Bechoros that were already dead, that died through previous Makas, or that had died within the past couple years, were dragged out of the ground by rats and dogs. Dragged over to the houses of where they were from and eaten in front of their families. And eaten in front of their families. Another opinion brought down is that they all had Tchiasa Mason. So the Bechors came home right before midnight, knocked on the door, said, Hey, Mom! And they came in, and as soon as Chatzos happened, they immediately died. So the people felt like, Oh, the Bechors back! Oh my God, it's Jimmy! And all of a sudden, he died again. That was another thing that happened over there. I, I don't know, I dogs and rats a little bit better because it explains the process. The dog didn't bark at all. Why didn't the dogs bark? They were busy dragging out the bones and eating the Bechors in front of the people's houses. Another opinion says that the oldest of the house and all the Mamzerim died. All the Mamzerim. And the Mitzrayim were very big into Znus. So it was the firstborn from every new relationship. So all of a sudden, a guy in a house lost like 10 of his kids. He looks over the wife and he's like, I thought only the firstborn was dying. And she's like, uh, yeah, that's so awesome. She's sitting there because she knows she has 10 different kids, 10 different Bechors from 10 different husbands. So either way, that's all brought out there. And, and, the oldest of the house is nobody else was around dying. There was another thing. Something called a truffle. You ever heard of truffle before? Crazy, crazy truffle. What was it? Firstborn's head. Very good. Lovin had them. Lovin had them. He took his firstborn son, took his head, filled it up with spices, 
spices. Filled up with spices. You know, made it like all good and everything. Stuck it up against the wall, put candles in front of it. And if you bow down and say the right incantations, it'll tell you the future. Those are known as the truffle. Those idols, and not only that, but even stone idols that represented the, the Bechors, all those things were torn down and smashed and thrown to the ground and everything. And all the truffle were destroyed. Said they didn't even have the truffle anymore. There was nothing left. So now, I'll tell you guys very quickly. I went up to Ripley's, believe it or not, in Wisconsin after, I think it was like six or seven years ago, six years ago or something. And I saw there the most unbelievable thing. There's a guy right in front who's sitting there with his hand out. He's like smiling. I thought it was a guard. It is the most realistic thing I have ever seen before in my life. But it's an idol. Not only is it an idol, the guy made it. It's a guy in India who's afraid that his wife would not be faithful to him after he died. So he made this out of rice kernels. And I'm not joking. Rice kernels that he sewed together. Sewed it together. Until it was a lifelike image of him. They show a picture of him on the side. And you see this thing? You cannot tell the difference. I'm telling you it's perfect. And in certain places, the rice fell away a little bit. So you can see like little holes. And you can see the rice where it's all over like that. But it's the most lifelike thing you have ever seen before in your life. And they had it in her house until she died. And then they sold it to Ripley's, believe it or not. They see, you see this thing? You get shocked. You are absolutely floored by how good it looks. That's what these idols were like. It was an idol that reminded them of their firstborn. Those things were destroyed by the dogs and by everything else. And they were all destroyed or dragged out and everything like that. All right. I'm going to go with one last thing. There's a stira that's brought down, a famous stira. Kaddish Baruch said, I will kill the, the whores of Mitzrayim. Ani, below, Malach, who said every Agadah, during the Agadah on Pesach night, Ani, below, Malach. I'm going to do it and not a Malach, right? The funny thing is, there's a Pusik that says, Yudbeis Chav Gimel. Yudbeis Chav Gimel, the Pusik says, V'avar Hashem lingo v'Mitzrayim, Hashem will go to plague Mitzrayim. V'roz Adam al-Amash, go v'al Shem, because you'll see the blood there. V'posach Hashem al-Pazach, and he'll pass over the house. V'lo yitain ha-mashchis l'avol batechem lingo. And he won't allow the destroyer to come into the house to destroy. He won't allow the destroyer to come by. Wait a second. I thought it was God. Wasn't it God doing it? Who's the destroyer? Is the destroyer like his cool name? That's the name that he has like when he's destroying? Call me Mashchis. At that point, I'm Mashchis. Of course not. So what's the Mashchis doing over here? What's this guy doing over here? Who is this guy? So the other one is the Chizkuni. They both say there were 900 million Malachi Chaboah. Evil angels that came down to destroy all of the Israel. That's cool. That's really cool. But the still didn't explain what they're doing there. I thought it was an evil amount. So the Chassam Sofer, he's got a great answer. Chassam Sofer says, does it say anywhere that he killed them? No. That he killed them? What does it say? Throughout the whole parasha, it says, V. Casey, I hit them. So, the Chassam Sofer says, there's a certain sword that a Kaddish Baruch Hu has, it's known as Yuhach. Yud Vav It's not a joke. It's mentioned by the Mogin Avram as one of the Makors as to why we dip 16 times out of our cup on Pesach night. Yud Vav You take 16 times out of your cup for this shame of a Kaddish Baruch Hu. If you guys remember, Yuhach is the name of Yachid Varabim, Malachah Karabim. It's the shame of a Kaddish Baruch Hu that you use when traveling. It protects you while you're 
traveling. That's where Yuach comes into play. It's a famous shame of Akadosh Baruch This Yuach is also a sword that kills demons and destroys crazy things. Sesach Samsofer, Yuach came down, and it was Akadosh Baruch because Yuach is an extension of Hashem, however that works, but that is the Mashkas. But it didn't kill. You know what it did? It hit the Mitzrayim. It's that all night long, they were screaming in pain. Screaming in pain. It says all over the place, there's going to be a tremendous Sa'aka Gedola in Mitzrayim. Crazy cry out. What's the cry out? What are they crying for? After 10 minutes, it's like, okay, the woman will scream for a little bit, they'll cry out for a little bit, but what else is going to happen? What, the babies woke up in the middle of the night? And like all of a sudden, people are going crazy? What's the deal? Because the people who got hit, the Bechors that got hit, were sick. And they got sick, and they, it was like they just got hit by a sword, and they were bleeding all over the carpet, but they were injured for a full six hours from Chatzos Lila up until morning. And when morning hit, that's when the Malachim Avis was given permission to kill every single one of them. But they were hit originally at Chatzos, and that's what Akadosh Baruch said he was going to do. And they died at morning, according to the Chassam Sofer. That's the shot behind that. So there was Malach, there was a Malach, the Mashkis, which was the shame of Yuhach, which was this sword that went around. The Malach Amavis came by in the morning to destroy them at the very end. Sword is like an extension of Akadosh Baruch. So whatever that means, it was the one that killed. So however that works, that's going to be what killed. I, I can't explain any more than that, because unfortunately, I'm uh, human. I'm human. So either way, that's the only thing I have to grow. We're going to end with this, is that uh, the Mashchisim were walking publicly. There were 900 million people walking around the streets, Shadim, that were walking around the streets. They were walking publicly, and they had Rishus to kill anyone they saw. Therefore, no Jews were allowed to leave their house until morning. They were allowed to kill anybody they saw, but they didn't do any premeditated murder. Hashem killed the Bechors. He did everything himself. However, if any Mitzrayim started running around, and started going around, and started going crazy, or whatever it was, the Mash would come around and kill him. And kill him. What are you doing in the street? And go ahead and kill him. The what? Blood on the doorpost. He wouldn't go inside houses. The Mashkas was not allowed to go inside houses. So they wouldn't allow them to go inside because of the blood on the doorpost, but that was it. Paro, by the way, that explains a lot about Paro, that whole board that I said over here by Yuhach. How did Paro survive? He was a Bechor. How did he survive? Kept him alive. How? He gave him the sickness of Yuhach. And that's why Paro, what was he so worried about? The Makkah's over. It happened at midnight, right? All the Bechors are dead. If Paro's not dead yet, why is he running to Moshe and Aaron to say, get out of here, I don't want to die? You're not going to die. You're not dead yet. But think about it. All the Bechors are dead at Chatzos. They're all dead at Chatzos. Paro's not dead. What's he worried about? What's he going crazy about? He's not going to die. He sees he's not dying. The shot is, no, he saw that he was so sick. And all the Bechors were sick. And he knew that all of them were going to die. Like Akadosh Baruch Hu said, they were all going to die by morning. He knew he was going to die by morning. So he ran to Moshe and Aaron, and he told them, get out of here. But by morning, he didn't die. That's when he started to harden his heart. And he waited and waited, and then he realized, all right, we're chasing after them. I thought uh, Shaden was allowed to kill people that were outside. That's what it means by Hashem let him live. Paro was allowed to walk the streets to be able to get to Paro, to get to Moshe Rabbeinu, I'm sorry. It's funny, though, because the Midrashim also say, we'll stop with this.